and welcome to the latest edition of Resistance TV. In tonight's programme, we're going to be looking at the state of the left in Britain today. The demise of the Corbyn project and the election of Sir Keir Starmer as the leader of the Labour Party has left thousands of former activists feeling demoralised and bereft. Joining me to discuss the state of the left today are Dave Roberts, who helped to found the Socialist Labour Party with Arthur Scargill in 1996 and was the party's vice president for a number of years. And Phil Bevan, who works in the Leader of the Opposition's office under Jeremy Corbyn. And Phil's an author, an independent academic, a researcher, and a community activist too. Phil, let me start with you. I mean, a lot of people are looking to the uh, Peace and Justice Project that was established by Jeremy Corbyn in 2021 to offer some leadership to the left. I mean, from your inside knowledge, is that leadership likely to be forthcoming? I mean, after all, Jeremy posted a statement on Facebook yesterday saying that Members should choose their candidates, devise policy and decide what the movement stands for, which was pretty much what I was campaigning for in the Democracy Roadshow when I was still a member of the Labour Party. Um, well, just, just to be clear, I don't have any um, connection to the Peace and Justice Project or inside knowledge of it. So I'm, I'm just um, I'm looking in from the outside and, uh, and speculating a bit. Um, I do know, I mean, I, I worked with some of the people who were close to it when I was in Lotto. So that's kind of my connection to it. And um, and I don't know if, you know, for instance, for instance, I don't know who's employed by it and who's just kind of in its orbit and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love Jeremy. I think he's, I think he's a really, really good guy. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit concerned that he's getting caught in the middle of a split that has, I think, took place at least in 2016 on the left and has been widening um, ever since. And it's a split between uh, what I would regard as proper socialists and the sort of soft left liberals that you find um, in Momentum and on, on Navarra Media. And I think it first became apparent uh, with the, the the attacks on Jackie Walker um, and some of the allegations and accusations of anti-Semitism surrounding her. Um, uh, and that was when you had this division that Momentum leaders anonymously in an article for the New Statesman I assume they're, you know, at least very close to the leadership, um, made a distinction between up-and-coming sort of people who were getting involved in the Labour Party politics as a result of Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. And um, I, there was a term, I can't remember exactly, but it's something like um, canary-reading conspiracy theorists. Um, and this was 2016. And so you've got this kind of division between the desirable an undesirable left, um, and I just, that is playing out now. Um, people like myself, <laughs> I think I probably fall into the canary reading conspiracy theorist category. Um, but it's interesting because Jeremy's role has always been, and this is why he was able to bring in such support to the Labour Party in 2015, is to straddle the divide between. Uh, the Labour Party left and broader leftist movements outside of the party. So you've got um, Stop the War, for instance, which he co-founded and which has ties to 
former SWP members, so people who aren't necessarily um, Labour Party people. Um, and I think the the current difficulty that he faces um, is that he, he's got to make a decision. Instead of being this kind of unifying figure between the, the Labour left and broader leftist movements in the UK, he, he's now, because of the, his situation with regards to the Labour Party, I, I think he's being forced to make a decision one way or the other. And in fact, I don't think he, if he's not careful, that decision will be made for him by Keir Starmer because I don't think he's going to get the whip back. I really don't. Um, and so that... Do, 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 do you think, though, then, Phil, I mean, just in relation to the Peace and Justice Project, do you think that will provide the leadership that a lot of people are are looking to uh, th that organisation to, to provide? I mean, or not? I, mean, um, I would say at the moment, I don't think it is. Um, and I think it's because he's in this kind of liminal sort of state, um, not wanting to alienate the Labour left um, while not yet willing to commit himself and, and his project to um, more kind of consistently sort of non-Labour socialist organisations, um, which, which of course will get him into trouble with people affiliated to the Labour Party. Um, and let's remember that a lot of the people who's, kind of circle is around him are still within momentum mm -hmm. and so they have a vested interest in trying to keep him on board and keep him within the kind of the remit of the Labour Party and so there's a bit of a, a tug of war going on. There's um, no way back for Jeremy in the Labour Party though is he? He's not going to be. No, no. Not well, at all, no. I mean he is a member of the Labour Party but there's no yeah, way is, I yes, can see Starmer um, is going to allow him to stand no way, as a Labour no. candidate. Um, the, the other the other thing is that um, some of I, I mean I believe I don't know exactly what relationships they have with him at the moment because I'm out of the loop but I believe that some of the people who um, advised him in in Lotto are still around and yeah. um, for instance I know that the Peace and Justice Project is affiliated to Progressive International um, which is I think the communications for that are done by um, Jeremy's former spokesperson and uh, director of strategic communications, um, James Schneider, while the um, so-called apologize or move on strategy on allegations of anti-Semitism was, uh, was being pushed in the leader's office. And, you, and that organization is connected to um, the Bernie Sanders project because it's funded by the Sanders Institute and, and the Sanders Institute gets money from, well, billionaires, basically. So you've got this kind of soft captured left that is yeah. that lots of, that is across the Atlantic in the United States. And a lot of leftist organizations in this country are tied into. Um, and they tend to follow that split I described between the respectable, relatively mainstream people who will be invited onto um, uh, mainstream media and the canary reading conspiracy theorists like myself. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's a big problem because if if Jeremy's tied into this network, when it comes to showing the leadership, and I think when it comes to the future of the left, what we desperately need is people who aren't trying to win favour with uh, mainstream media organisations mm -hmm. uh, and not trying to repeat establishment talking points so that we're quote-unquote respectable 
We need people yeah. who are actually going to uh, drive forward with a proper socialist agenda. And when it yeah. comes to talking about um, situations um, in the world today, in this country, abroad, they're going to tell the truth. And I think, for yeah. example, um, just kind of last thing to say on this, I think what has one of the things that I think Jeremy's dropped the ball on is the a little bit, I mean, not completely, but the current um, situation in Ukraine and the mm. Russian invasion. So what we're seeing is um, a shift to uh, a new a new multipolar world. Now, Jeremy's background, his whole history is, is uh, internationalism and solidarity with developing nations that are pushing against US imperialism. But I mean, he has been uh, recently. He's been to Brazil to support Lula, albeit with the kind of U.S. sort of facing peace and justice, yeah. um, progressive international. But he hasn't really articulated uh, what this change in world affairs mm. uh, means for the Brit Britain, its role in the world, and actually the role that the British left should be playing in that, mm. uh, in in building our connections with other countries, um, other nations, other sort of, and, and socialists within those nations. And, and that includes governments of, in my view, uh, countries like Venezuela. Yeah, of course. Cuba. Yeah. Um, and actually, just sorry, just one more thing that's popped into my head. The other thing that I'm concerned about with regards to the Peace and Justice Project and why I'm a little bit disappointed in it, I've got to say, is because I think that what's happened is that a lot of the people who are advising in Lotto, they come from this kind of... Lotto being the leader of the opposition. Leader of the opposition's office. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they come from this kind of um, strata of political intellectuals, a fair few of whom went to private education. What they're not is hard-nosed campaigners in communities on the ground. Mm. Um, so when it comes to... Well, they're, they're quite well. I actually don't think they are that good when it comes to media because of the whole apologize and move on strategy. But their mm. entire kind of the people that they are focused on are this kind of upper strata of media professionals, um, yeah. journalists, and that kind of thing. What my strategy is, or what I would like to see the left do, is actually build a base of support in the streets, knocking on doors, taking on people's issues. Uh, yeah. And doing it that way, while also talking to uh, left-wing socialist politicians uh, elsewhere yeah. in the world, where they're actually achieving victories, like in South America, you know, and even having some relationships with, like, the Chinese government, because mm. they are they're growing um, as a power yeah. in the world, and and just you know, for our country, for Britain, we need to be yeah. talking to to developing yeah. nations, um, and we're not. And I would love to see Jeremy showing leadership on that. But I yeah. think he's being held back by the caution of some of the people around him who are worried that that won't play well with the soft Bernie Sanders momentum yeah. left. If you see well, well I mean. Bernie Sanders has proved himself to be a quizzling, as, as, as we know. But uh, mm. let me bring in uh, Dave now. I mean, Dave, does the left need to move beyond Jeremy Corbyn, then, given what Phil has just said? Um. <clears throat> I mean, thanks for that insight, Phil. That was, uh, I think, very useful for those of us who've spent a lifetime on the outside of the Labour Party looking in. Um, yeah, I think it's worth revisiting what the Corbyn project was and perhaps look again at some of the issues around why it's failed. Because I don't think it's just about 
uh, various wings of the Labour Party fighting it out for for some sort of you know parliamentary leadership uh, or leadership the in, in fact the trade union movement as well. Um, I think it goes much deeper than that, and I think we ought to in understanding why it failed, uh, what its limitations were, um, which I think is necessary before we move on as a left. Mm. I think, you know, we we need to learn those lessons, partly because outside of the, the world of politicos, whether in the Labour Party or on the left of the Labour Party, there's massive things happening. And in fact, the Corbyn project was a massive event. Mm. Now, the first thing that as I understand it, the first thing that, and you know, I became a member of the Labour Party and 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 even you know led a constituency party for a while, yeah. and uh, I got entry into the Labour Party by campaigning against the Labour Party, and actually mm-hmm. saying I'm a lifelong socialist that stood against you for nearly three decades, and um, but I think there might be something in what's happening here because it's not simply are falling out in the family of the Labour Party. There is clearly the, uh, the rapidity with which 300,000 people join that party to make it the biggest party in Europe. And also, I should say, the rapidity in which probably the 300,000 that have become dormant or left means something else was happening other than the usual wrangle that occurs at different points in history of the Labour Party between left and right and a, a struggle for the su- supremacy of one wing or the other. That clearly, um, there was a movement on the go. Uh, and the first thing I think that frightened the establishment was that Corbyn was elected. Mm. The second thing that frightened the establishment was that uh, despite their scurrilous undermining of him as an individual and his leadership, he was elected again. But the biggest thing that really put the frighteners on the establishment was that 300,000 people had joined behind him. Mm. On a manifesto, I should say it wasn't it wasn't a particular radical manifesto. It wasn't you know offering the promised land. Now it was a, a manifesto that clearly the right wing establishment felt was going to be too costly um, and too uh, actually had aspirations in it which capitalism couldn't deliver. Do you think, Dave, that um, one of the things that particularly scared the horses was the Commitment around anti-imperialism and peace, uh, even more than even more than the domestic social or social democratic agenda. Well, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, I think you're right. Uh, I was going to say uh, to go on that, and, and you know, the thing is, the thing about Corbyn is that has always been his 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 political ground that he's fought on is his anti-imperialism, his peace and justice. Uh, to his credit, he supported. Many, many regimes, many, many political organisations around the world that have taken on, you know, imperialism in a stand-up, knock-down fight for survival and for the development of their own country, free from imperialism. And that has been one of his strengths, and that's why, you know, I've, um, you know, been quite uh, pleased to share platforms with him in the past. Um, but I think, uh, if I can just come back to the point I was making, but the real frightening thing was that 300,000 people that joined. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just, you know, it's it's a rule of any warfare. And I think what was accentuated by those moves was that Britain was moving to a more um, acute form of class war. Mm. Um, and that was driven by the economy. 
that was driven by Brexit. It was, be, and then eventually it was driven by COVID and accelerated by by all the, all those features. Mm-hmm. And that um, you know, it, basic rule of of, of general warfare: it, you don't allow your weapons to fall in the hands of your enemy. You will scuttle it. You scuttle mm-hmm. fleets that are in danger of being captured. You blow up your own tanks. Uh, rather than allow them to fall into the hands of the enemy. And clearly the establishment was so frightened about the Corbyn phenomenon and its development that um, they pulled all the stops out in both the media, uh, all the connections in the Labour Party, all, all the sort of people that Phil said have actually been, they're, they're placed by the establishment, whether it's American imperialism placing them through connections or whether it's uh, British imperialism placing them through connections that have been placed to scuttle the Labour Party's left. I Here is a vehicle that clearly, as far as they were concerned, had been captured uh, temporarily by the left wing and they would scuttle it rather than allow it to be used for any form of social progress uh, on under Corbyn. Because mm-hmm. the other thing that Corbyn uh, interests was promising, uh, if I'm right. He talked about the manifesto that it had on offer, and it wasn't that radical. I keep saying it, I tell people, I was, you know, there's nothing in that manifesto that I didn't have as a 17-year-old. I had free university education. I had a free, uh, I had, I lived in a council house that was provided by the local authority. Um, I had free school meals. I had, you know, free school uniforms. Um most of that manifesto had existed way back in the mid-70s. Mm-hmm. But, of course, what was being offered by Corvin and what was being said at the time, that this was a transformative, we would have a transformative manifesto delivered by a transformative government. And it's that that I think that mobilised masses of people. And clearly, uh, you know, going to meetings during the Corbyn years, looking at uh, the, the media, the football crowds that were full behind him, Glastonbury, the whole, nothing has occurred in this country uh, for not since the miners' strike, actually, in terms of mass support for a working mm. class movement. Mm. And to have thrown all of that away, and it was thrown away, um, really, really, um, well, it beggars belief, but actually suggests that um, the leadership that Jeremy um, could offer going forward. And I think, Phil, you've hinted that you, you, you don't think he's the um, he's not going to be up to the job of providing uh, leadership for the left. I think um, why would why would any of the three hundred thousand people who joined behind him, having witnessed what happened, accepting accepting he had the entire establishment beyond him? But what you do there is you try and fight the entire establishment. You may fail. But what you don't do is uh, join in the establishment's campaign to scuttle um, mm. left-wing progress of the Labour Party. And I think, mm. you know, either through inaction, inaction at those critical points in history is as bad as, you know, being part of a reactionary uh, counterforce. Mm. Well, look, talk, talking about moving on, though, Dave, uh, from Jeremy, what, what, what's your thoughts on the emergence of these new political parties like the Breakthrough Party and the Northern Independence Party? I mean, as you know, they're part of the umbrella group known as the People's Alliance of the Left. I think you 
attended some of the meetings before they, they kicked us out of it. I, I mean, <laughs> it was set up, wasn't it, by Thelma Walker, who was the Labour MP for yeah. Colne Valley from yeah. 2017 yeah. to 2019. Yeah. And actually, she was John McDonald's PPS, Parliamentary yeah. Private Secretary, wasn't she? I mean, what's your thoughts about, you know, groups like that, political parties coming through like that? I mean, do they, do they offer a, a, you know, a vehicle for the left? I think, you know... When we when we talk about the British left, I think you need to you know pick apart the bones of it. Really, um, there are many people who call themselves left. There are many people who call themselves socialists, and what they are. And Phil, I think, referred to it earlier on about the the so called liberal left. There are those really who are left social democrats. They simply want to ameliorate the worst vestiges, the worst destructive elements of capitalism living under the free market system. That's their entire thing. Um, that means that when the Labour Party uh, lurches right, as it has done, um, then, then there's a space for them, to, you know, A, they're, they're concerned about that, but there's a space for them to operate as left social democrats. They don't, you know, want to move beyond, they don't see fundamentally the, the problem being the economic and social system that we all live in and under. They see it as a representation for the masses solely. Um, mm. And that, you know, they will play the parliamentary game. They will try and they will join campaigns. They will try and make them better. They will try and get more. Uh, actually, it's the same role that much of the, much of the trade union movement does. It's just to get the best deal under the existing status quo. Um, so I would say that many of those groups are of that ilk. Uh, they've come to the fore because there's a vacuum that's opened up because of the lurch to the right of the Labour Party, but they're not necessarily socialists. And it's interesting that um, very quickly in those movements, they start looking and saying, oh, I'm really sorry, we can't work with them because they're coming up with. And of course, who are them? Well, they tend to be the people who are more socialist, who will probably have some sort of uh, analysis about, well, actually, it is the system. And of course, I was going back to Pal too, by the way, just to, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to make that. <laughs> yes. oh, what was that, Phil? I missed that. I was number what was one. the point? <laughs> he was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. He was one of them. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so, um, I was saying, so, so, you know, of course, they're, or we can't because they have this policy or that, et cetera, or we don't agree with that. So we can no longer work with them. And the worst one, of course, was that and we can no longer work with them because they appear to work with someone else that we don't like. Um, <laughs> I mean, they really are serious. They're not socialists, really. They are social democrats um, with a, you know, cloaking themselves with, with this left um, veneer. So um, I guess you're saying that, you know, we caution people on the left, about getting involved with groups like that then? I mean, that's not the vehicle, no. that, you know, hey, at know, all, from what you're saying. People can... All of us on this tried. Yeah. And that's the point. We we tried sincerely. And the problem wasn't that, that we didn't want to work with them. They didn't want to work with us. There's <laughs> not a lot you can do when organisations aren't serious enough to recognise that what you need is is... Well, you do need to agree on first principles that mm. you can cooperate. You know, you do need to agree on that. Um, and so that's why that didn't work. Um, but you also, you, you need to be willing to work with people you you can cooperate with and emphasise points of uh, similarity rather than difference when, when there's bigger stuff at play. For example, anti-imperialism is something I care a lot about. Um, 
And if you don't mind, Chris, I mean, I, if I talk for a bit more, I want to come back to that point about whether um, Jeremy can play a role in leading the left going forward. Um, because I, I think, you know, I think there's definitely a big role for him. Um, I think actually, if you look at the situation he's in, and if I wasn't a bit disillusioned, I wouldn't be talking like this because I, I do have a lot of respect for him personally. So, you know, I do feel a bit sad saying all this stuff. Um, and I'm trying to be sort of coach it in <laughs> in sort of soft terms, but Jeremy can bring a lot personally mm. to um, another kind of socialist movement because he has a lot of popular support still, um, legitimately. Um, he's also got connections to international um, figures like uh, like Lula um, and AMLO in Mexico. You know, they are, they're big, they're important. Um, and also, you know, there's the name as well. And I think if he stood as an independent in Islington North, he would win it. So you've got a parliamentary seat. So he's got the goods. Um, I think also, I think personally, I think, Dave, you were perhaps being a bit harsh on him, given the fact that he was trying to lead a Labour Party into government, which I used to think was the way to do it. My experience has shown me otherwise, but that requires compromises and not getting kicked out of the leader's office. And that's not to say that I agree with a lot of the stuff that happened, but there is a um, a reasonable explanation for why what happened and, and what the leadership did, why they did what they did. Um, but we're not in that situation now. We're in a different situation where we have the, by necessity, the rest of us, socialists, proper socialists, are having to move forward. Um, regardless, because we can't wait for individuals, however much we might like them or respect them, because we have to do this anyway, because things are really, really bad. They're terrible internationally. Uh, our country, along with the rest of the West, could be very, very isolated very soon. This is playing out in real terms on the streets with you know energy bills, rising inflation, mm. all this kind of stuff. So we I want to come to... on to that in, in a minute, actually, mm. Phil, about, about stuff, okay. you know, group and group, you know, people getting involved on yeah. campaigns like that. But is, is what you've just said, though, Phil, a, a sort of a council of despair in relation <laughs> to what Jeremy, you were saying in response to what Dave had said, that he, you felt Dave was being a bit unfair or a bit unkind because Jeremy had to make those compromises because he was leading the party to trying to get into government. Does that mean then, in your analysis, that if we were to get to a position, Socialist Labour Party, let's say, for example, where we were on the cusp of potentially getting into government, that we would then have to start making compromises in order to get into government? Is that is that your analysis? Or, or are you saying that was then? Right. No, no, my analysis is, is that it was his position as leader of the Labour Party. Right. My analysis is the problem wasn't necessarily Jeremy. The problem was the Labour Party and also the kind of social democratic infrastructure that surrounded it like momentum. Mm. And, and partially there is a flaw there in, in, in Jeremy's thinking and actually in my thinking and lots of your thinking as well, Chris, at the time, is that you could use oh, the yeah, Labour yeah, Party yeah, yeah. as a vehicle yeah, yeah, for yeah. socialism. Yeah. My, my point yeah. is we're now beyond that, that kind of mm. phase. We all 
should be able to recognise now that you can't use the Labour Party as a vehicle for socialism. And actually, a lot of the democratic infrastructure um, around that was not helpful. Momentum was not helpful. It was Mm. actively undermined um, sensible uh, efforts to change some of the messaging that was coming out of of Lotto. And, And one of the things that I think didn't have to be as bad as it was was the media strategy sometimes when it came to countering all these smears. Well, let, let, let me just come on to the media then, then, Phil, because, I mean, another important aspect, I think, of, you know, the state of the left today is is where we are in terms of, of the left media. I mean, we all know that the left doesn't get a, a fair hearing from the corporate media, but um, I know that you've expressed some concerns about some of the, the new left media. Um, I wonder whether you could just sort of summarize, summarize what your reservations are. Uh, and maybe even you know, single out the, you know, the left, because it's not all the left media that you've got concerns about, but there are certain uh, you know, influential mm. um, left, left media outlets, platforms that, that you, you have expressed some, some concerns about. And I think that's an important aspect mm. in terms of where we are, you know, the state of the left, because you know, clearly the media you know, is just an important aspect of that. So just tell us what your reservations are about. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's relevant to the point I was coming on to. So this is this is quite oh, a good okay. opportunity to, yeah. to talk through it actually. Um, so with with the current left media, um, it's as I was saying earlier about the ties to um, imperialist establishments in the US um, and in Europe. For example, I've spoken it uh, about it recently on your um, Palestine Declassified show. Which actually, yeah. Chris is is very good. I've been binge watching it. We're uploading our back catalogue. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rumble, that's why you know, <laughs> I've been so, able to yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is yeah. It's yeah. One of the, genuinely it's one of the best because um, it's been banned from by YouTube. That's that's been oh, a problem. Oh right, okay. So we can, um, we but, can't get on YouTube anyway. Yeah, but, but yeah. yeah um, the 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 problem with let's let's take momentum for example. Right. It's it's where its funding comes from. So its funding comes from the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. Um, and actually, the origins of that money are um, from the German Foreign Office and German Foreign and Development Office. And now, normally, when you know we look at something that's funded by the British state, we think, hang on a minute, what's going on there? Um, and I think we should, should treat all state funding in the same way and assume that there is an agenda. Uh, behind it you know and, and obviously chris you, you present um a program on sort of uh, iranian sponsored television press tv and th- that will be putting forward your program because it serves their interests in some way it's not always a bad thing you just got to recognize that that every platform's every platform's got an agenda though, exactly I mean, that, exactly that, that, yeah we've got to be realistic about that mm. of course but but the, the trouble with Navarro, and you have to, and therefore you have to kind of look at what their what their coverage is, the kind of stuff they're saying, and whether or not it aligns with what you expect of them, your expectations, and of their self presentation. So, this idea of this outrider radical left media that challenges the status quo—well, is Novara media really that? Um, it's not at all. Um, you can largely tell that because it's it's. Is people pop up on mainstream media all the time. It's actually it's an example of of what I, what has been described hybrid media. So it's it's um, it's new media based around the internet that r- relies upon legacy media like the BBC, like ITV News, in order to give its people platforms 
to grow their social media. So actually, some of this terrible communication strategy where you're accepting the establishment narrative may in fact be a genuine communication strategy on their part because they have to be invited back. And so you've got a whole clique of people still reasonably close to Jeremy who are coming at politics from this perspective, which is the perspective that we can't offend the establishment because we our, our incomes are dependent on it. And so one of the things that concerns me about Navarra Media in relation to the money they get from the German state via the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation is that, and it may be a coincidence, but they have been very poor on the, um, the anti-Semitism smear campaign. Um, they've been very poor on NATO's role in the Ukraine war. Um, and so some of the most important stories of the last few years, it, it just seems like every time you need them to be there, all guns yeah. blazing in your corner, they're not. And now this, this kind of does tie into Corbyn's role as well at the moment, because he is he's, these people are in his circle. And um, I think this kind of point of view is partially re responsible it's one of the many reasons why the Corbyn project didn't work, but it is also preventing him as an individual from bringing his personal qualities into a more radical movement, which he has the capacity to do if he also has the will to do it. Because if he were to, to break with that kind of mentality, that sort of laborist, soft left, um, to appease the media, appease the establishment um, point of view, and and come over to something more radical, he would he would be a great asset to us. You know, whether he's leader or just you know someone who shares a platform. Um, but as it is, let's say if he were to be forced out of the Labour Party and then want to join a wider left alliance or socialist alliance, but bring the infrastructure that grew up around Lotto and which a lot of it is still around him into that mix then he's actually not so much of an asset because, frankly, he's bringing a lot of <laughs> not very useful people, not very useful perspectives with him. And you actually, I mean, if you look at the way, for example, and this was on um, Crispin Flintoff's show the other day, George Galloway yeah. handles the media in his collective... Yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a brilliant, brilliant interview. I can highly recommend it. Anybody who hasn't seen it, this is very, very good. I thought. But anyway, go on. Sorry. What he does is the opposite of the communication yes. strategy. No, indeed. Jeremy was advised to take. Now, if he's going to bring in those sorts of people, and you know, yeah. I suspect some of them have fairly high regard for themselves and their their craft. It, it, it would just be a it would just be a headache, to be honest with you. Um, whereas what you well, need... I had experience of that, Phil. I mean, as the <laughs> yeah. as a sort of an outrider for Jeremy. Yeah. When I was an MP, and I, I I'm not putting myself in the same category as George because George is you know is, is a master of of the media and so on. But uh, that was my you know that was the sort of tactic that he talked about about you know challenging the bullshit that the you know narrative that was being. Um, put forward on a range of topics, but particularly on the anti-Semitism one. I was, but not just on that, but on so many other issues, I was 
almost on a daily, particularly when I was on the front bench, mm. almost on a daily basis being phoned by somebody in Lotto to say, why have you said that? Don't go on this program. You can't say this. We're going to put someone, you know, they never wanted me on. And when if I ever, ever did, did manage to get on to, to, to a program, I was on quite a bit at that time mm. uh, on various uh, corporate media outlets, you know, um, I think they used to have hold their heads in their hands because I would, you know, challenge the the, the nonsense that was being put out, you know, and uh, it was incredibly frustrating. You're absolutely right. I think to to bring that mindset into any kind of you know different new uh, left movement would be mm. would be would be disastrous. But let, let me just move on today because we, we're running a bit short of time, uh, and there's one or two other points I wanted to to make. And um, I'm sort of moving on, Dave. I mean. I think you and I have spoken about this. You know, a lot of people see politics, don't they, through the prism of party, of political parties and elections and, and, and so on. And I just wanted to sort of, if you could give the experience, uh, you know, benefits of your experience. I mean, you, you were very active during the the miners' strike, which saw raw state power, didn't it, being deployed to smash a, you know, working class uprising, which is what it was, I think. Um, I wonder whether you saw... You know any parallels with with today and what's happening with industrial action rising and 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 if you do, you know, can we win uh, this this time? And also just say a bit about you know why it's important. You know why a movement is important. You know why working class movement, not just focusing on elections, is is crucial. And and I just think your experience and because you were you know steeped in the minor you did so much during the the minor I think that's a really good. You know, case study to to sort of uh, you know tease out a little bit about you know and learn lessons from how we might you know take forward some of those lessons today. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Chris. The the miners' strike, probably the most important uh, event in the history of the British working class. Um, and what was crucial about it was simply it wasn't a trade union struggle against the state. It became a mass movement in the UK. Uh, which was then internationalised around the world. I mean, workers were supporting it. Uh, there were strikes uh, in, in the States. There were dockers on strike in Australia. Afghan workers were raising funds. Uh, workers across the world were sending in resources uh, because they knew that the struggle against particularly British imperialism and its particular right-wing government was their struggle as well. And they saw the miners as having gone beyond uh, a simple trade union dispute, trade dispute, to something else. And it was clearly that. Not of their making necessarily. I mean, the, the thing begins, of course, around ec simple economic demands, but it very quickly transformed into a movement of the working class in Britain and beyond. Um, so things like the minor support committees became met every single week would have had hundreds and hundreds of people attending, and they were doing various things. They were raising resources to sustain the strike, to sustain the miners, but we were fighting a class war. We were fighting a physical class war. It may have been, you know, in a lot of it may have been the push and shove of picket lines, but it very quickly escalated halfway through to a real struggle, which was a life and death struggle, both in terms of the, the way whole communities have been abandoned by the British state, no, no uh, benefits, uh, were no longer policed by the British state, uh, um, and that other forms of social organisation began to 
rise. Miners, obviously, at the front of that. But committees to organise uh, schools, uh, alternative schools, committees to uh, organise food distribution, and even committees to organise policing of some communities uh, started to take place. If you like, embryonic councils of actions, we call them in the 26th strike. Soviets, we call them in the Soviet Union. Just embryonic, didn't go more than that. And of course, not trying to belittle the um, that strike particularly, but, you know, five people, five miners died during the course of that strike. And the brutality meted out on the picket, not just on the picket line, but in people's houses by the police, in communities, in pit villages, um, was, you know, unheard of in that generation's time. So uh, that sounds like a council of despair, does it not? The other, no, side, just, the other side of but, it, of course, was that the working class moved forward uh, looked beyond the limitations of the Labour Party, partly because it, it was abandoned by by the, by officially by the certainly the leadership of the Labour Party, not its me- not a lot of its membership, I should say, but the leadership of the Labour Party quickly abandoned it, and much of the right wing trade union movement left it isolated. But a year of determined struggle um, brought uh, a movement forward, and there is a relationship, obviously, um, between movement and political parties, political parties and movement. The two need to go hand in hand. Where I see it is there's a movement. Uh, there always is a movement. It's either, you know, um, nullly, mollified by the, the late labour reformism or trade union reformism, or um, it's facing real economic and social injustices and crises, and it'll, you know, uh, it comes to the fore. And it usually has to sort the issues out itself because mm-hmm. the establishment at that point, thing it, uh, the establishment fears most is a independent working class movement that is a movement of itself for itself. Yeah. And that's, you know, what happened in the, in the minor strike. And that's why eventually they had to, you know, close it down by any, any means necessary. Um, so I think, I mean, the current situation now, I've not seen, you know, I've obviously been around the block a few times politically in the past. I've not seen uh, the ingredients of a real full-blown economic social crisis of the free market system being sort of played out in, in our eyes, uh, in front of our eyes um, at the moment. You know, the reduction of wages over the last 10 years, a decade of austerity, the um the, the rising prices, inflation, the the whole generation of people who are being forced to pay for well, younger generation being forced to pay for their education, uh, older generation being forced to pay for their care, the collapse of of the welfare state in effect, and it's outsourcing to profiteers. Um, you've got a major economic crisis. You've got a, um, a global economic crisis um, in terms of the rise of the uh, of China and Russia and India to start you know, uh, taking on um, the, the uh, leadership or taking, taking you know, first place um, against American, American imperialism, the American economy. You've got all of that being played out. You've got, the uh, I think, the fracturing of globalised capitalism, Western globalised capitalism, as, as, as rival capitalisms start breaking down into their national blocks, um, you know, and I think that's, you know, in, in some sense, the history of Brexit. So you've got all of that playing out. Um, it actually makes the miners' strike, you know, we're going to close five pits, 
and we might use it use it as an excuse to deal with one particular leadership of one particular union. It makes that seem like a sideshow. But how quickly the Tory attempt to deal with one particular leadership in one particular union uh, escalated to give us a struggle of titanic proportions. And I really feel that we're on the cusp now of a new movement heralded by the 300,000 people who got in behind Jeremy and his project, heralded by that. But that's just the beginning. Now, we've been, you know, we've been put off track uh, and, and the establishment has as well in the sense that it's it, during COVID, it actually funded the, 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 the status of, you know, quo to just dampen any reaction to what was clearly happening. Couple that with the political crisis. I'm talking about the political crisis of leadership of all classes. The thing about um, classic crises of the free market system that have happened before, it is a crisis of all classes. It's a crisis for the establishment. They can no longer, they're exposed. They can no longer rule in the old way. And what have we seen? We've got them proroguing parliament. We've got them bringing in fascist police state powers that haven't you know, got round to using them um, on a regular basis yet, but they're there lined up uh, to go. We've got um, a whole range of uh, economic sanctions against the working class uh, coming down the line. Um, um, we have uh, a, equally on the other side of the coin. We've got a crisis of leadership for the working class, have we not? So we've got. So just, just, just to, and bring those two together, Chris, and you are on the cusp of a movement because for every reaction, there you know for every action there will be a reaction. Um, yeah. I can see in the coming period, and it will come through all the things we know: inflation, electricity bills, uh, lack of employment opportunities. Uh, education opportunities, the collapse of their national health service because it's not no longer funded or it's being outsourced. And at the same time, we are still expected as a class to be looking up to these parliamentarians and yet they are ripping us off uh, yeah. you know, at every single opportunity. What is it, 300 million in Lady Mona's uh, bloody bank account whilst yeah, 150,000 yeah. workers yeah. are dying of a disease that could have been, you know, dealt with so much better, um, all of that. Now, you know, <clears throat> I don't think I'm unique. <laughs> I think people have been watching all of that up late, but they don't have any political leadership at the moment. It's the leadership right. which is key. But just, just, just briefly, though, Dave, um, uh, final part of that, that question was, I mean, the miners lost, sadly, ultimately. I mean, they were defeated yeah. uh, and all the pits were closed and the communities, you know, were, were decimated. I mean, you know, uh, they were, but... Do you think this time is different? Do you think we can win this time? That that was that's the key. I mean, do, do you have an optimistic note? I mean, you know, can we can we win this time? Notwithstanding, you know, there's not the leadership there at the minute. But I mean, if we can get that right, I mean, can we win? Well, I, I need to challenge you. You see, yes. Um, what was defeated in the miners' strike was the 19th century institution called the National Union of Mine Workers. Yes, yes, yes. Right, that was what was defeated because mm. it was found wanting given the all-out class assault by the establishment. yeah, What wasn't defeated was the miners' strike and the miners' struggle itself. In fact, what happened is that the miners set went on uh, having, you know, to fight uh, 10 years to keep their, their union funds um, 
from the hands of the establishment and to keep their leadership out of jail. But they then went on and founded the Socialist Labour Party, committed to getting rid of capitalism. So I think that what you're saying is, I mean, yeah. that, so, so that experience, they could be the bedrock then. I mean, that, that, that's where the leadership maybe could come from, perhaps. There are enough of them around, aren't there, that went through yeah. that experience, that led that experience and drew the lessons. The fact mm-hmm. that they moved to a political party to establish a separate party. And again, this wasn't left-wing intellectuals necessarily, in inverted commas. This was born out of a credible, uh, you know, struggle of the working class. Uh, the mm. best leadership that the working class has thrown up in its history, I think, during that oh, year, yeah. during that year, without without doubt, in this country, I should say, with plenty of other excellent uh, leaders. Yes, no, I mean, I mean, th- thanks for correcting me. I, mean, I guess I was referring to the very narrow terms about trying to, you know, keep keep those those pits yeah. open yeah. and keep the coal industry working. But uh, yes, it was certainly, can certainly. I mean, just can I just finish one on a couple of things? You know, and it's it's I don't think it's any accident that the leadership of the miners, uh, you know of the miners' strike, Scargill, opens up the RMT annual general meeting. It's yes, this conference. year, wasn't it? This year. This year, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Because you've got a group of workers a generation uh, later who are mm. facing, beginning to face, some of the uh, tribulations that the miners went through. So why wouldn't you turn to someone who went through uh, the no, war strike? And they did. And the, uh, the other thing I'd uh, like to remind people of is that just people generally are getting it, I think. People generally are getting it. Um, there was banners outside the last Labour Party conference, was there not, uh, that said, uh, Brighton, was it at Brighton? And it said, um, what we need is a socialist Labour Party. Now, that wasn't the yeah. socialist Labour Party um, mm. banner. That was, I don't know who, saying, this is what we need. We now need a socialist Labour Party. Yeah. Meaning, I don't think they mean, let's make the Labour Party socialist necessary. I think they we need a party of the Labour movement that is socialist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the the other thing that I, I think is, um, and people I think are beginning to move, the environmentalists, they're all, you know, the slogan, system change, not climate change. Some of the most astute environmentalists have, you know, grasped the thing that mm-hmm. we need to change the economic system in order to secure the future of the planet. Well, Dave, that, that leads me on actually to, to uh, the penultimate question, really, and we have only got about five minutes left, so it'll have to be fairly uh, a brief response, Phil. Um, it's just in relation to that point that, that you know that, that Dave was just alluding to there about you know single issue uh, pressure groups. I suppose I mean I think a lot of left wing activists haven't they have given up on party politics actually and have got involved with single issue uh, pressure groups. Some of them you know are you know, very laudable and, and do some brilliant work. And groups like Palestine Action, mm. for example, I mean they've chased Elbit out of two. Well, t- chase them out of their headquarters and chase them out of uh, one of their factories out of out of Oldham, I think it is. You know, they're doing some some brilliant uh, activism, which is actually you know uh, showing dividends, as it were. But a lot of people get involved in you know, a range of different pressure groups. I mean, I mean the groups like you know Don't Pay, which I know you've got some criticisms about, which was set up uh, or founded, I suppose, as a response to the escalating energy bills, and and another kind of environmental groups like you know Just Stop Oil that's concerned about climate. So, do you think? You know, it's a productive way for for people, you know, sort of disillusioned activists to get involved in in uh, single issue pressure groups, and uh, and maybe they need to sort of choose wisely. But it, it, I mean, we've only got a few minutes left, Phil. Okay. So if you could well, try and brief quick, on that, but it's quite a big question. Um, so, in terms of the pressure groups, 
again, I mean, we're talking about rebuilding a socialist movement in in the UK. Um, and so if we're going to build links with them, they need to be equal to the task um, and not counterproductive to the task. And, and again, this is one of the issues going back to Corbyn, is that he's recently, uh, this summer, sort of thrown his weight behind Just Stop Oil. Uh, now, Just Stop Oil uh, gets its money from the Climate Emergency Fund which was established by incredibly wealthy people, one of whom was on the Council uh, for Foreign Relations, the big US think tank, and has set up a business with two former CIA agents, um, which has something to do with using CIA techniques to protect brand security. That's where Just Stop Oil's money is coming from. Mm. So I have to say, <laughs> I don't think they are going to be helpful in the class struggle. In fact, I think they're a diversion from it. Um, and XR gets its money from similar places. So um, my view is, you know, there's no agreement with those guys because, I mean, that their, their funding model is on the Climate Emergency Fund website. It's explicit. It is inspired by venture capitalism. Like, they <laughs> that on their website. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a case of being like, by contrast, Palestine action, definitely. Um, it is something that socialists should work with. And it's it's a case of, and I think, Dave, your point on the miners' strike um, is that it was defeated because it was probably too narrow. It was a single target with the entirety of the state could then go against. So uh, my, my point of view is we shouldn't run before we can walk. I think it's about bringing people together to talk first and foremost, while we're each doing our individual activisms and things, to see if there is um, a room, at least for a non-aggression pact to begin with, and some sort of collaboration and working together on some issues, sharing platforms. Um, and then just to lay the groundwork for, for something bigger. But I think a lot of my sort of friends in the Workers' Party, for instance, have been saying there's a lot of education that needs to be done because in the sort of the left that came in to inspired by Jeremy Corbyn, they don't really understand class politics. Ordinary people on the street don't understand that they're workers. So actually we're going right back to basics, the early days of um, political education and class struggle. So we need to just really be aware of where we are and what our expectations should be at this point in time. Let me just finish then with a, with a, with a question to, to both of you, uh, if I can. We've only got probably about three minutes left to take us up to the hour. Uh, but let me talk to you, Dave. I mean, you've rejoined the Socialist Labour Party. I mean, do you think yeah. that has the potential to win any seats at the next election or not? I, I, I think everything is uh, up for grabs at the moment. I think everything's in the air. I think the old... Uh, established parties, the, the parliamentary Labour Party has gone as a as a force. Um, um, the right wing lurch of you know Starmer's um, rump of the Labour Party is um, means that anything is is possible. But I really think this movement is is going to be the key to it. Now, can I just say about you know individual campaigns briefly? Uh, yeah, just individual campaigns. Subjectively, people will start a campaign to react against some injustice that they feel. 
objectively, most of them are actually attacking the establishment. They don't necessarily consciously do it. They are. When they, when, when they actually take direct action, they are attacking the establishment and the status quo. So I think, I think that's one thing. And can I just finish on, just quickly on um, something that Mick Lynch said? which uh, is interesting because I think he starts where the minor strike finished. Being the leader of the RMT, the rail. The yeah, leader of the RMT. He, he, was, he was speaking to a, a great show of solidarity with education staff and workers and lecturers. And uh, he was complaining that people were complaining about him not being affiliated to the Labour Party or his union not being affiliated to the Labour Party. And his response was, I'm getting fed up of, of people you know, saying I should be affiliated to. Why should we be shackled by the Labour Party? And then went on yeah, to yeah. attack them. Mm-hmm. Oh. The dial, I think the dial is ready just to be turned up slightly with all the things like system change uh, rather than climate change, with the breakup of, of the Labour Party, etc. of why we should be, sh- it should be reading, why should we be shackled by the free market capitalist system? Yeah. And that's, got, fun- that's got to be the, the core message of any new socialist movement not a rehash no. of the left, not for a no. rehome, as you say, Phil, of the left of the Labour Party to get reassembled to no. do what they've done again. Mm. Yes, indeed. And, and then get into those kind of compromises that and Phil was talking compromises. about. <laughs> I mean, that's it. But listen, uh, last word to you then, Phil. It's going to have to be about a minute. I mean, you're a <laughs> member of the Workers' uh, Party. I mean, what's the electoral prospects for the Workers' Party, do you think? Well, um, George is personally very popular in certain parts of the country, um, so he could win. Um, I, it depends on the, the place and the candidate. But I also think that we, sh- I mean, electoral politics are an important part of the mix, but they're not the whole thing. What, no, we, no. Should be, what we should be first and foremost trying to do is, is well, two things, really. We need to do immediate three things, OK? Build some sort of a, a putative socialist alliance, or at least non-aggressive aggression pact so we have the widest co- collaboration of small organizations possible yeah in an informal yeah. way um two we need to break the labor trade union link that's got to go Absolutely. because it's not serving anybody um yeah, yeah. and um three we need to uh, we need to mobilize uh people and this is the most important one because it needs to be not about kind of individual lefty celebrities going on msn mainstream media it needs to be about yeah. mobilizing ordinary people in their communities to take power yeah. themselves that's proper socialism that's what we need absolutely and a great way to end the program i think it's been a really interesting discussion thank you very much uh, phil bevan and uh, dave roberts for your insights today i hope the viewers have enjoyed the discussion it's Probably discussion we should return to, actually. We could have spent three or four hours talking about it, but I guess people's attention span probably wouldn't necessarily expand. I mean, I was wrapped, but, you know, I just think we need to be mindful of (laughs) of keeping it to a a sort of uh, a consumable length of of time. But I think it is an important topic to to return to. And uh, thanks again, both of you, for your insights. Really, really interesting. And thank you, our viewers, for for watching this evening. That's it for tonight. Uh, We'll be back next week, 7 o'clock on Resistance TV. So thanks a lot again for watching us, and good night. Cheers, guys.